Welcome to the Studies in Proverbs podcast, produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. This is taken from a video series you can find on our website, heartcrymissionary.com. HeartCry is a missionary society founded by Paul Washer. The goal of our ministry is to glorify God and bring the greatest possible good to humankind through the preaching of the gospel and the establishment of biblical churches throughout the world. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about HeartCry Missionary Society. Hello again, and welcome back to our study of the book of Proverbs. You know, sometimes I wonder how many times am I going to say that before I get to the end of this uh, wonderful book. But it is a pleasure to be here today with you and to study this wonderful book. Now, in the last two sessions, we were looking at the parallels between our passage in Proverbs chapter 3 and the person of Christ. And we're going to, conti- we're going to continue to do that today. And um, because um, in all things, really, young people, listen to me. In all things, we want to see Christ. Because in seeing Christ, we see our Savior. We see our our God. All right. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3 again. And let's just read verse 13. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding for her... Profit is better than the profit of silver, and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. Now, Uh, Let's read that introduction that we've already read twice, but it's important because I really want to ingrain it uh, in your thought process when you're thinking about Christ in the book of Proverbs. I've written here, throughout the book of Proverbs, there are striking similarities between wisdom, understanding, discernment, and Christ. It does not mean that you can substitute the name or person of Christ, you know, every time you see the word wisdom. Um... Nor does it mean that there are exact parallels between Christ and wisdom as it's presented in the book of Proverbs. It is probably best to look at it as many scholars have suggested that the wisdom displayed in Proverbs is a type or shadow of the person of Christ who is an infinitely greater reality. Now let's go back again. You know, when we look at the law, uh, what does the law do if one understands it correctly? Points us to Christ. It does in his salvation. It tells us we're sinners and that we need a savior. Proverbs does um, basically the same thing. Yes, we can learn from the law on how we should act, what it, what it looks like to act righteously before God. We can learn that from the law, but the law can't save us. In the same way, in the book of Proverbs, we can learn wisdom, but the book of Proverbs also tells us that we have not been wise, we have been fools, and we need a Savior. You see, everything points to Christ. Sometimes my wife... Uh, She said, I always speak in the superlative. You know, everything is the greatest. This is the greatest ice cream I've ever eaten. It was the greatest time I've ever had. Um, But there is one place where I simply cannot exaggerate, and that is the centrality of the person of Jesus Christ. His importance, his beauty, his preeminence, 
I cannot exaggerate it. As a matter of fact, I'm always going to be coming in as a low bar. I'm never going to be able to share with you how truly wonderful he is. And in one sense, that's the pain of the preacher. Did you know that? The true preacher. That's his pain. Is that the truths of Scripture are so marvelous. And especially the truths about Christ are so extraordinary that we know in every sermon we're going to fail. We're just going to fail. Because we haven't comprehended but a little part of it. And even what we've comprehended, it's sometimes almost impossible to share. So we've looked at Christ as the true source of blessing that outside of Christ, we have nothing. We've also seen that he is more desirable than all things combined in the universe. And um, just quickly, um, in verse 15, and nothing you desire compares with her speaking of wisdom. And, and basically the idea is if you were to take all your desires for all kinds of different things and put them all together, add them all together, they still would not compare with the desire that we ought to have for wisdom, with the worth and value of wisdom. And how much more can this be said about the person of Christ? Um, have you ever noticed that sometimes um, you don't really know what you want? You desire things, and then maybe when you, you get them, you realize this isn't really what I needed. That will never be the case with Christ. You'll never be disappointed. You can never desire him so much that he will fail to meet up to that desire. Young people, I mean, even on this side of heaven, where we see as though we're seeing in a dim mirror, even though we do not see much of Christ here, what we do see and what you can see as you walk with him, it's far beyond anything you could ever desire in this world. Now, so he's the source of true blessing. He's more desirable than all things in the universe combined. And he's the source of life. He is the source of life. Um, here uh, we get this from look at verse uh, three uh, or chapter three, verse 16. Long life is in her right hand. And in her left hand are riches and honor. And again, let's just go ahead and put Christ in there. Long life is in his right hand. And in his left hand are riches and honor. Now, in our study that we did previously, just on this passage, do you remember how I talked about the right hand? That the right hand is a place of preeminence. And I think this is very important that he puts life in the right hand and gives life itself the, the preeminence. And then he puts riches and honor in the left hand. You know, so many preachers have that completely twisted, don't they? All they talk about is riches and ease of life and your best life now and all these different things as though that was in the right hand, but it's not in the right hand. We know God can prosper us. We know God can help us. We know that God heals. We know all these wonderful things that God can do according to his will and when it's for our good and his glory. And yet none of this compares to what's in his right hand and what's in his right hand. Eternal life. Eternal life. And we're going to see that's much more than length 
of days. I just want to jump over. Hold your place in Proverbs real quick. Um, I was working on a passage for a book today. And over in John, let's just run over there real quick and follow me if you can in your Bible. It's always good to uh, to do that. Um, John chapter one. Now, we've already gone through the fact in the beginning was the word in, in verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was uh, with God and the word was God. And we know that that word is referring to Jesus Christ and that it's the son of God who became flesh and he's the greatest revelation of God to man. Now we know that. But look also in verse four of chapter one in him was life. This is an amazing statement about the son and is also one of the other evidences that he is not a lesser God or a God of lesser glory or something in between God and man, but he is the son of God is God in the fullest, most complete sense of the term as the father is God, as the spirit is God in him was life. Now, you remember when I talked about all the blessings, you know, Christ is the source of blessings. And, and we looked in Ephesians where, you know, in him, in the beloved, in the son that Every blessing from God comes from being in the Son. Well, all life comes from being in the Son. Our union with the person of Jesus Christ by faith. Outside of that, there is no true life. Now, I know we live in a society, we live in a culture where someone say, how dare you say that? Well, if I don't say that, I'm not a Christian. You see, everybody in the world would would really like me if I only changed the definite article V to an indefinite article A or A. If instead of saying Jesus is the Savior, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the life, if instead of saying that I said Jesus is a savior. Jesus is a way. Jesus is a life. Jesus is a truth among many other saviors and truths and lives. Everyone would applaud me. The scandal of Christianity is that Christianity says, no, Jesus is not a savior. He's the savior. He's not a way. He's the only way. He is not a source of life. He is the source of life and not just as a channel or a conduit. He has life in himself. What's amazing is this this carpenter from Nazareth, this man, Jesus, who walked upon our earth. It's not mythology. It's real history. He walked upon our earth. He was God in the flesh. He possessed life in himself. And because of that, he had the authority to lay that life down. He had authority to lay that life down and he had authority to take it back up again. You see, this is a. How can I say it? This is an extraordinary person that we're talking about. All right. Now, back to Proverbs says long life is in his right hand. 
I want to talk about life for a moment. You know, um, someone told me a long time ago, this old man, he said, um, most people die 30 years uh, before they're buried. And what he means is, is people give up on life. They, they don't really live, they just exist. But there's a sense in which without Christ, that's a description of everybody. It's just existence, bare, raw bone existence without life. Now, someone may argue, no, 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 I have life. Man, my life is so great. I do all kinds of things. Well, you're not talking about life as as the the essence of life. You're talking more about things you do, entertainment, distractions. You see, a lot of people have a lot of things. A lot of people do a lot of things. And those things function kind of as entertainment to fill up a void. But without those things, they have no life. Yet Christ came. Jesus Christ came, the Son of God, in order to give us life. And I want you to look for just a moment to... Um, to John chapter 10, verse 10. Let's go there. John 10, 10. He says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, who's the thief here? Well, most people immediately say, well, he's talking about the devil. Well, actually, he's talking about false prophets. Um, directly and immediately, he's talking about false prophets. But behind that, we can, we can clearly suppose that there's a reference to the devil himself. Now, anything that, is, that claims to give life but is a distraction from Jesus Christ is actually something that steals, kills, and destroys. Young people, listen to me. There, there are going to be so many things out there, so many distractions, and so many um, voices that are promising you so many things, but in the end, they're going to be like rock in your gut, like sand in your mouth. They're going to leave you empty. We could use so many metaphors to say simply that that what they claim to be able to give you is, is false. But it is in Christ and in Christ alone. You see, even a lot of churches today, young people listen to me. Yes, there are good churches and good pastors and things like that, but there are a lot of false prophets. There are a lot of false teachers and there are a lot of what I would consider even well-meaning people who are misdirecting people who are supposedly seeking Christ. Look, abundant life is not found in the church. It's not found in an entertaining church service. It's not found in even in a fellowship of, of many, many, many people who are really nice to you. Because in the end, it'll leave you empty and alone. What you truly need, what I truly need, is the one source of abundant life, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And as we study the scriptures to know him, 
we will grow in that abundant life. You know, so many people study the scriptures, you know, to find principles to make their life better. That's not the purpose of the Bible. You know, I, I hear preachers say well, the first thing you should do when you read a passage is ask yourself, what does it what does it say about me? No, no. The first thing you should do is what does this reveal to me about God? And specifically, what does it reveal to me about God's revelation of himself through his son? And the more you know his son. And understand his work on your behalf and what he continues to do and what he promises to do the more abundant your life will be. Jesus says, I came to give them life in abundance. Not just morality, not just ethics, not just a church service, not just a right way to live. But I think the idea here for me, what I see is an abundant joy coming from fellowship with an amazing person. I don't get abundant joy sometimes from the ministry. I don't get abundant joy from trials and suffering. But whenever my fellowship with him is real, there is the source of abundant joy. Now, another thing that I want to talk about, it's not only an abundant life. But it's an internal life. Remember, I talked about how you can get entertainment, you can uh, add things to your life, and that'll bring some sort of semblance or it'll look like life, but it's not really life. But Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand this passage because if you do, it'll disappoint you. But you're being disappointed not by the scriptures, but by your wrong interpretation of it. This is not saying that the Christian life is just one continuous internal bubbling up of joy. Sometimes it is. Sometimes there's great joy and wonderful experiences in the Lord. Joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. But other times there's also suffering, fighting with doubts, uh, in even emptiness, trying to enter back in. But, but what you will see as a true believer is that even in the midst of that, there will be something substantial in you that still causes you to persevere with hope and go on. And it's in those moments when when you feel nothing, young person, and yet you're believing God, even though you feel nothing, that God is most glorified because he sees that you're trusting in his character. That even though there's just darkness all around, even though there may be pain and suffering and even nagging doubts fighting against you, that you trust in the name of your God. And so many Christians believe, man, I feel so wonderful and Jesus is so real to me and there's so much joy. I must be glorifying God. Yes, you are glorifying God. But I want you to know that when there seems to be no bubbling brook and it seems everything is shut off and there's nothing but darkness and a kind of numbness. And yet you say, even now I will trust in my God. What's happening there 
is that brook is still feeding you. That spring is still welling up. Maybe it's not as bubbly, but it is just as nutritious. And He's causing you to persevere. So rejoice in both things, young person. When you, you have a sense of a wonderful elation and joy in Christ, praise God for that. And when there seems to be nothing but holding on to His character and your word and His word, rejoice in that. Now, and then there's life eternal. Now, when people think of life eternal, they're always thinking of life forever. And that certainly is uh, one of the meanings a life going on forever. But life eternal or eternal life is more than a quantity of life. Okay, quantity means largeness. Uh, life eternal has more to do with a quality of life. Now, I don't want to be trite at all, but I want you to understand that that there is a sense in which people who are in hell will live forever. And even in this life, it can be more difficult to live than to die. And so length of days is not necessarily a wonderful thing in itself. But what eternal life is talking about is not just a quantity of days or years or centuries, but a quality of life. The quality of life that one experiences in a reconciled relationship with God. Okay? Now, when does eternal life begin, young person? The moment you believe. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The moment you believed, you entered into everlasting life. Now, look at John 17, 3. And look what it says. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, he's not denying that eternal life is forever. He teaches that in other places. But what he's saying here, it's more than just a whole bunch of days. What is it? This is eternal life, that they may know you, that they may know God. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You know, in my life, um, I was raised on a, a farm in Illinois, but now as an older man, I've been on most of the continents. Um, I've seen everything from the pyramids of Egypt to, um, you know, Petra to, you, you just name it, the jungles of South America and Asia and so on and so forth. The, the great cities in Europe, so many things. And, and, and I delight in that. But, but all of them are limited, you see. They're all finite. You can search them out and say, oh, that's wonderful, but pretty soon you come to the end of their glory. That's not the case with knowing God. God's glory, and when I mean glory, His, His virtue, His merit. Here's another word that's not used very often. His beauty. His splendor, His wonder, it's infinite. So that you can chase it down throughout eternity and you'll never come to the end of it. Do you see? And that is eternal life. Going deeper 
and deeper into the knowledge of the glory of God. Along with everything else, whatever that may be, all I know is the scriptures say that eye has not seen and ear has not heard what the Lord has prepared for us, His people, those who love Him, you see. But I can assure you, it is not a church service 24-7. It is an entrance in to the glory of God. Another thing that's wonderful about the end of this eternal life, and what I mean is when we stop living in this world and we enter into life there, I think the thing that most excites me is that I will no longer sin against Him. That my heart will be pure. And that it's why I like to tell people everything you you can have everything you desire in heaven because you have been transformed into the image of Christ and nothing you desire can be wrong. To live in that freedom of perfect holiness. And so, you know, young people, he is the fountain of life. And he's the fountain of eternal life and abundant life and and all spiritual life. But I want you to know this, that it all flows out of Calvary. We have life because he took death. We have peace with God because on that cross he suffered the wrath of God that was due us. So again, know this, everything we have, absolutely everything we have is the result of the person and work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. All right. Well, wonderful. Have a have a great day. I hope this has been helpful in our next study. We're going to look, we're going to finish this portion up of seeing Christ in this passage in Proverbs, and we're going to talk about riches and honor. And then one of the most splendid things about our Lord that he's kind. He's a kind and patient Lord. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Studies in Proverbs podcast produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about HeartCry Missionary Society.